Have you thought about how well you're sleeping? Sleep is an incredibly profound, wonderful, and important process of being alive. All animals sleep. People sleep. It's a critical component of how we function on a daily basis. Today's guest is sleep consultant Martha Lewis. And Martha takes us through a myriad of things related to sleep, how we can sleep well, and really ultimately enjoy our lives better. Ladies and gentlemen, Martha Lewis. All right, we are back again. And uh, Martha, I am pumped to talk to you about sleep today. I love that. Thanks for having me, Darian. Yeah, no problem. I actually have a pretty long history with getting my own sleep together, actually. So okay, um, a huge interest in it. And then when I saw, I think I saw you on Spot, I guess, where I connected with you. Yes. I said, oh man, I've been looking for somebody to talk to about sleep. This is what they do. So thank you for being on here. Oh, Yeah. So let's jump into it. So I'd love to learn about your background with sleep and um, what got you into it? Well, it's all been on my personal experience. So I originally became a sleep consultant for babies and kids after my son didn't sleep well and I ended up hiring someone and it made such a big difference that I became a sleep consultant. But then even after he was sleeping through the night, I wasn't. And so it turns out that I had become a sleep consultant who wasn't sleeping, Mm -hmm. which was horrible. Um, And so, yeah, it lasted about two years before I finally decided to do something about it. And so at that point, I was still working a full-time job. I had a young baby and I'd started my business as a sleep consultant. And I was miserable and tired. And worst of all, I really felt like a fraud. But luckily, Dana Obelman, who I trained with for pediatric sleep, also offered an adult sleep certification. And so I decided to do that, to do that, even though I was pretty skeptical because I already knew a lot about sleep. Mm-hmm. But it turns out that I did need to make multiple changes to my habits, to when I was eating certain things, to my activity level, and make those all at once to get back to sleeping like I used to before I had a baby. So I was really excited to be able to help adults who were struggling to sleep. And then I had the opportunity to train with Christine Hansen from Sleep Like a Boss to test for underlying health issues that affect sleep, which I think is really cool because, you know, there are a lot of people out there who are following all the rules already, like They aren't watching screens before bed and they're not eating a big meal and, you know, all the sleep hygiene things that you're supposed to do. And yet they still aren't sleeping. And so it's cool to learn that there are sometimes physiological things going on in your body that are literally keeping you from being able to sleep. And so I've been able to combine that with my nutrition knowledge, which is what I did before I got into sleep um, to, you know, to help people kind of figure out what's going on with them health-wise so that they get can get back to sleeping better again. So let's go through it in a sense of kind of the high-level stuff. You know, a lot of this stuff you're talking about, screen time and things, I would love to kind of circle back on that 
and some basic things that people may or may not know, and then dig down a little bit deeper into more of the physiological aspects of it. Yeah, cool. That's what I definitely think is most interesting. (laughs) Um, And first of all, before I get into that, I want to talk about one hormone that is pretty much responsible for keeping us awake at night, and that is cortisol. Mm -hmm. So cortisol is one of our stress hormones that plays a very important role in waking us up in the morning and keeping us alert throughout the day. And it's also a big part of the stress response. So I live in the mountains um, outside of Yellowstone. So I like to say if a bear is chasing you in the mountains, then your body's going to release cortisol and adrenaline and epinephrine and all these hormones that are going to help you literally run from or fight if you have to fight that bear. But our bodies don't know the difference between being chased by a bear and all the everyday stressors of life, like, you know, running late in the morning, being stuck in traffic, getting in a fight with your spouse, all of those things still cause that same stress response. And so your body still releases cortisol, even you don't, even though you don't need that energy to run from or fight something. And so then there are also physical reasons why your body would release cortisol in the night, which we'll get into. But so it's pretty much it doesn't have to just be psychological stress that is going to affect your cortisol levels, but also physical stress as well. But pretty much the thing is, if your cortisol levels are really high all day, or if they are spiking in the night when they shouldn't be, then you're going to have a really hard time falling asleep and staying asleep. And so some of those things that could cause that cortisol that that aren't commonly known are something like um, high or being on a blood sugar roller coaster. So that means that your blood sugar is spiking really high and then it's dipping really low. And this happens, especially if you eat like a lot of refined carbohydrates and sugars, anything that's going to spike that blood sugar really quickly. And when that is happening all day, or if you eat a sweet treat like ice cream at night, then your blood sugar levels are going to crash a few hours later and your body sees that as stressful. And so it releases cortisol to deal with that stress. And guess what? You're awake. Hmm. So yeah, that's one thing. Um, And another thing is has to do with the health of your gut and especially some creatures that might be living there <laughs> like mm-hmm. yeah yeah like parasites or bacterial overgrowth or fungal overgrowth so all of those things are nocturnal and so it is at night that they are eating and excreting and releasing toxins and that causes inflammation and cortisol is also an anti-inflammatory hormone so whenever there's inflammation your body releases that So that's a really common problem why people wake up between 2 and 4 a.m. and have a hard time going back to sleep because there's those things are literally causing cortisol to be released and keeping you awake at night. Interesting. Well, it's uh, I like the deeper level of it. I think we have a lot of knowledge or at least I think on some level of the certain um, behaviors before bedtime. Mm-hmm. You know, when things, you know, alcohol, uh, drinking alcohol, caffeine, screen time, all those things becoming, I think, more common knowledge and people are trying really hard to limit those things. But I think there's this under underlying level 
that you're just, you're speaking about that maybe we're not spending enough time really dissecting or understanding. Right, exactly. So tell me a little bit about where about our our history with sleep, if you will, and how that has evolved and changed over the last let's say 50 years and why we've had such a problem with sleep. Um, maybe the easy answer is technology. Maybe it's not, maybe it's nutrition, but maybe what's that timeline been and how things have changed so much for us? Yeah. To me, I, I think of it in, in about the last 200 years. Okay. So a lot of things happened around 200 years ago. First of all, the invention of the light bulb. I mean, it was only a little over 200 years ago, which is kind of mind blowing. Crazy, right? I know. Totally. crazy. So, but that, of course, enabled people to stay up late, whereas before, you know, you woke up with the sun and went to bed when the sun went down and there wasn't all that much to do except by oil lamp or fire right. <laughs> after that. And so electricity changed everything. And then you talk about the last few decades with screens. I mean, that obviously has changed everything as well. And we can work and be in touch and have so many distractions all hours of the day and night. So those are, that's definitely a lot to do with it. Um, but our views about sleep also changed about 200 years ago. And that had to do with the industrial revolution as well. So this starting to prioritize efficiency and productivity. And a lot of people started seeing sleep as being a waste of time, including Albert Einstein himself. Crazy, so, right? That's yeah, so crazy. Exactly. Yeah. So that's, that's when our society's views as a whole started changing about sleep was about 200 years ago. And luckily things are turning around now where we're starting to realize, you know, why sleep is so important and that it's actually not worth it to, <laughs> to burn the candle at both ends, for example, and not get enough sleep. Um, luckily there's becoming more awareness. We're obviously not fully there yet, but, um, but yeah, that's, that's what I think of as that 200 year span. And yeah. it's, and it's only even been in the past hundred years that we have had cars on the road and we're flying all over the place. And, you know, so all that kind of technology too, our lives have changed so much in a very little time. And it's being reflected in our difficulty sleeping and in our poor health as a whole. What do you think? You know, I think about, I used to see this, used to drive me nuts. And I'd read an article several years ago and be like, you know, successful people don't sleep. They work a hundred hours a week and, you know, so-and-so sleeps three hours a night. And I, even back then I was like, this seems counterproductive, <laughs> you know, to be like, why do we lift people up who barely sleep as like geniuses and all these things? And I know it's changing, but what is, what was that attitude or maybe still pervasive on some level for that? Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, I, again, I think it's going back to the sleep is a waste of time. When actually, you know, we restore so much. That's that's how we remember things is during deep sleep is, you know, is when those memories are reinforced. And then during REM sleep or that dream stage sleep that happens after deep sleep is when those pieces of information are cataloged and they're kind of linked together in sometimes ways you wouldn't think of. So that's when a lot of creativity happens actually while you sleep. So it's you know, I think it's obviously super important for being productive and creative and successful, really. 
Yeah, I, I, I believe so too. I think it's, it's critically important, but you know, I think maybe you see this, but if you talk to a lot of people on a, just, you just poll people on their sleep, it's usually pretty terrible, actually. It's like literally like four hours, five hours, three hours. I have found in my life that a lot of people are doing that, actually. So maybe talk about the their dramatic effects of that level of sleep or just lack of quality sleep. Yeah, definitely. I mean, first of all, you know, the recommended amount of sleep is seven to nine hours a night. Mm -hmm. And that's a pretty big range because everyone's different. And even each of us is different at different parts, points in our life, you know, depending on how active we are, how well we are, all kinds of things. So, so a lot of studies have been done, you know, showing the effects of getting fewer than seven hours of sleep and it's being linked to lots of different chronic diseases like depression, Alzheimer's, cancer, even heart disease, diabetes. So there's this direct link to not getting seven hours of sleep a night and increasing your chance of getting those diseases later in life. So there are some, you know, very large health effects from not getting sleep for years. I mean, um, what happens also when you're when you're putting your body in a deficit over and over again? I mean, I was listening to uh, Matthew Walker's. I read his book, Why We Sleep. Yeah. And, uh, a lot of his stuff is, I mean, it's just amazing. A lot of the stuff that we know about sleep now and just like the almost kind of this delirious tremens, delirium tremens effect that your body basically tries to gain sleep from you while you're awaking on some level. Um, if you're constantly like not sleeping, I mean, I, I'm, I'm hacking it up, I'm sure that whole thing, but <laughs> like just the dramatic steps the body takes to try to get sleep sometimes. You know? Right. Exactly. Yeah. It doesn't just go away. If you miss an hour of sleep, we accumulate what we call sleep debt. And so that adds up over time where, yeah, your body does want to make up for it. And if it goes on long enough, you're probably, that's probably when you get sick and you know, your body just needs to sleep and heal and catch up. So we can't go too long without it. It's amazing how critically important it is. Um, talk a little bit about kind of the further um, physiological aspects of or the deeper aspects related to nutrition and all those things. Because I, I think that part is not necessarily very well known. More people are knowing about some of the things you can do before you go to sleep and stuff like that. But talk about that stuff as you were kind of talking about that with cortisol, but what's the deeper dive even more with that? Yeah, well, you know, there are quite a few factors that can cause this cortisol to be released at the wrong time. So I already talked about the blood sugar mm -hmm. is key. Um, you know, gut health part of that is, you know, if you have pathogens, another part of that is if you're sensitive to certain foods, so, you know, say we think of broccoli as healthy and salmon as healthy, right? And all these nutritious foods, but some people, if they are sensitive to them, which means, so that's different than an allergy where you'll go into anaphylactic shock. Like we talk about peanut allergies or shellfish yeah. fish allergies. A sensitivity is more like your body doesn't really like it. It's producing antibodies against it, but you don't necessarily, you can't necessarily tell and But it is causing this low-grade inflammation that is causing cortisol to constantly be released day and night to deal with that inflammation. 
So finding out foods you're sensitive to, that's one of the tests that I do, um, because that's really key to, you know, to figuring out your sleep as well. Um, Another factor would be hormones. So, you know, having unbalanced hormones can definitely affect your sleep. Like I'm working with a couple men right now who are estrogen dominant, which is really interesting. And that usually comes from environmental factors like food, like eating soy foods or body care products and things like that, um, that have, yeah, that have these estrogen like substances in it. Um, so that can totally throw your sleep out of whack as well. And also not make you feel very good for sure. Um, and then the last thing is thyroid health. So that's another thing I test for and, you know, making sure that people aren't uh, producing antibodies against their thyroid, which means they have the autoimmune disease Hashimoto's mm-hmm. and, you know, making sure that, that their thyroid stimulating hormone, which then creates T3 and T4, that all that is being converted properly. Um, because again, if your thyroid is out of whack too, you're not going to be sleeping and we don't really think about that affecting sleep, but it totally does. Are there is there information out there or research related to certain types of dietary approaches? Like, for instance, right now there's uh, probably I would say more publicized things now becoming like plant based diets, ketogenic, even carnivore diets. Are any of these approaches uh, how are they affecting sleep? Uh, if there is any information on that, I don't know of studies per se. I, you know, I do hear anecdotally that being too low carb can interfere with your sleep. And so sometimes people, it's mainly as they're adjusting to say a low carb or ketogenic diet that um, your body, you know, actually needs that release of insulin to help produce serotonin and melatonin at night. So actually you know, do suggest that people have complex carb carbohydrates at night to encourage that. And so for someone who just all of a sudden goes low carb, they're not, you know, their body hasn't adjusted to being able to produce that. Or they might, some people just might need a little higher carbs than those diets provide. So like with any diet, I think it's important to, you know, to know how it affects you and not Mm -hmm. one diet is necessarily meant for everyone. Um, Right. Yeah. As far as the plant-based diet, you know, I know that that's kind of all the rage right now too. Right. Which is, you know, the opposite of keto or carnivore or mm-hmm. those things. Um, you know, I do think that when people switch from a standard American diet to a plant-based diet, that a lot of times they can be healthier, right? Like if you cut out the processed foods, if you're cutting out those um you know, that conventionally raised meat, then yes, you can be healthier. But, you know, I actually believe that you need some of the nutrients in animal foods to, especially the fat soluble vitamins to make hormones. I mean, our hormones are made out of cholesterol and fat. And so if you're not getting those in your diet, then, you know, you're, you're going to have a hard time being able to make those hormones that are going to help you feel good and sleep. And that's a hot topic. I mean, you get, you know, what's interesting about dietary approaches and stuff. And it's it's like dogma for people, Mm -hmm. you know, it's like they identify their, their behavior and their identity is very wrapped up in their diet that they're in. So other approaches, there may not even be other 
allowing people to have other ideas about that because they're so wrapped up into it. But I, I wonder how that affects with sleep. It's like sleep is, we all need to sleep. Animals. I mean, from what I know, most animals sleep. It's a part of the world mm-hmm. and your existence. I just, I think about like sometimes people will say, oh, I don't need much sleep. I really don't. I've never slept a lot. I just always got up early. What do you say to somebody like that? <laughs> well, there is something called a short sleeper gene that has been discovered. And so it's very, very rare though, right? Exactly. I mean, it's it's very rare. rare. Yeah. It's very rare. And supposedly 98% of people who think they have that gene actually don't have that gene. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, you know, I'm not here to argue with people about their sleep. Like, you know, I want to, I work with the people who aren't happy because they aren't sleeping and they know that it's affecting their life. Yeah. So yes, like I want to convince people that sleep is important, but if they're not ready for that, then that's okay. <laughs> is there a way to test for that, that gene, uh, that 98% of people don't have? I'm just curious. Not that it. I know of. Yeah. Yeah. It seems so rare. You <laughs> yeah, know, it seems exactly. like it's pretty rare. Like, like we all generally need it. Maybe it's that, a person who says that just really hasn't implemented maybe certain practices that they need to do and are aware of things to actually get that sleep that they're they're missing out on. You know? Right. Or you just get used to, you know, if you've never really slept well, you get used to that state of chronic sleep de- deprivation and you don't really know how good you can actually feel. That happened to me. I was a terrible sleeper through like high school and college and I just got tired of it. And then I just, I started trying to find information and listening different things and um, really just implementing kind of the high level stuff, you know, the screen time and all that. It really helped me tremendously. And then I actually have like a weighted blanket. Cause I always noticed like when I went to sleep, like really hard, it was like my wife would like lay her head on my chest and I would like fall asleep immediately ah. type of thing. So I've always, I was like, well, maybe like, I need something heavy, like kind of heavier. And it, it worked like immediately as soon as I started doing that. And uh, kind of this sense, of, like this tactile sense of having something heavy or tight on me has always helped me go to sleep very well. Awesome. Yeah, that's cool to hear. It's just, it was strange though, because it helped. It was a gift my wife got for me for Christmas one year. She's like, I think this is going to help you. And it was like one of the best gifts I've ever gotten in my life because it helped me sleep well, finally. Yeah, that's amazing. And I, I slept like nine, 10 hours the first night and I woke up. I was like, is this what it feels like to be fresh? <laughs> like it was mind blowing. Right? Um, exactly. So what's been your journey? Like you talked a little bit about yourself. Like what was the struggle for you? Yeah. So me, it was, I was having a hard time falling asleep. So I would be exhausted. So I tried to go to bed early and then, you know, turn off the light and just lie there forever. Then once I fell asleep, then I would wake up around that three or four o'clock hour and Mm -hmm. not be able to go back to sleep until it was like six, which, you know, then it's time to get up for most babies. (laughs) So, Yeah. yeah. So that was my main struggle for a really long time. And it started with me in pregnancy, in late pregnancy, which you know, it's hormones and there's not much you can do about it. But I just couldn't figure out why it was continuing even after long after being pregnant and, and having a baby. So yeah, again, like it lasted about two years before I finally did this adult certification. And um, really, 
like I was trying to go to bed too early for my body, it turns mm. out. So I really look, you know, take people's circadian rhythm into account because that's something that's genetic and we can't really change whether yes. you're a night owl or an early bird or How do you figure that out? Like, I want to know that. I've heard about kind of the lark and owl type of thing. When How does someone figure that out? But I mean, if they're not doing like you're measuring their circadian rhythms, you know. Right. Well, I mean, most people tend to kind of know which one they gravitate toward. And mm-hmm. really, like middle of the road, what's called hummingbird is the most common. Hummingbird? About, yeah. I never heard of that before. I know, right? Yeah, because I think we just identify as night owl or early bird. Yeah. Um, but it's funny, I was talking about it this week. Um, I don't know if you've heard of Dr. Michael Bruce, who's the sleep doctor. No. No. Well, he has a book called The Power of When, and it's all about chronotypes and when you should do certain things in the day. Hmm. And he's come up with different chronotypes uh, that he calls dolphin, lion, bear, and wolves. And so in his experience, like his patients didn't always fit into those three, you know, morning, early bird, hummingbird night owl so he came he invented his own and he has this cool quiz on his website thepowerofwin.com where you can take the quiz and find out what chronotype you are and then he's going to tell you when to do things like eat at certain times when to um try to attract a partner when to (laughs) yeah when to exercise when to fight with your spouse when to talk with your kids yeah like he kind of just based on, you know, when you're going to be, when you're going to have high energy, when you're going to have low energy, because that's different for all the different chronotypes. I feel like the bedtime thing, like when to go to bed is sometimes difficult to gauge. Like when I was growing up, obviously like a teenager, you know, teenagers want to stay up late mm-hmm. and stuff, you know, and they sleep a long time, get up late. And I, I kind of never, I stayed up late, but I would always like get up early too at the same time. And then as I got older, I, I kind of started going to bed earlier, but then would still get up at the same, I swear I get up at the same time every time, like constantly throughout my life. It's like 645 is like uh-huh. the magic number all the time, you know, yeah. seven o'clock. But I feel like I never know when I should go to bed, like, oh, should it be 11? Should it be like 830? I'm tired at different times. It's, it's somewhat frustrating sometimes because I'm like, what's my sleep opportunity and what's my actual sleep time? type of thing, you know? Right, exactly. Yeah. I mean, do you know kind of how much sleep you need a night on average? I, I would say generally like seven to seven and a half is pretty good for me. Yeah. Okay. And then like if I get if I get too much sleep, I feel horrible. Like yeah. just I don't know. What is that? I, I it's sometimes weird when that happens. Well, do you wake up naturally when that happens or to an alarm clock? To an alarm clock when that happens, when I sleep too long and stuff. It's like, whoa, like, no, 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 sorry. Like not, I made a mistake on that. <laughs> that didn't make sense anyways. <laughs> but I'll just sleep and sleep and it'll be like nine, 10 o'clock. Oh, wow. And I'm like, um, and, and this rarely happens. But when it, when it does, it's like, how did that happen? How did I like sleep that long, like 10 hours? And then I don't feel good the rest of the day, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, it sounds like your body probably wanted to catch up and then that can, yeah just cause some grogginess. I know I'm the same way. Like, yeah. you know, you catch up and so you feel good, but also groggy or tired at the same time. Um, but I was going to say waking up to an alarm clock, if you get woken up in the middle of a sleep cycle, 
then you can also feel it's called sleep inertia and you feel that real mm. grogginess and, you know, just so exhausted. And so that's why I really suggest that people wake up naturally, um, you know, and not to, first of all, alarm clock is really stressful thing happening first yeah. thing in the morning. And then if it's interrupting your sleep cycle, then it can make you feel awful for the whole rest of the day. Right. It's strange. Like, just like when you're actually tired and you're like, oh, and some people, you know, they fall asleep very easily in front of a TV and then they get in their bedroom, they have a difficult time sleeping. Why do you think that is? Well, I mean, the blue light from TVs is definitely going to interfere with your melatonin production. Mm -hmm. So, you know, our body clock is regulated mostly by light. And so again, with the invention of the light bulb being a huge thing, and now mm -hmm. with these screens, you know, if you're just sitting in front of a TV or a computer at night, your body's, you're telling your body that it's daytime. Yeah. And so it's not going to start lowering cortisol and producing melatonin like it should. So, yeah. And I also think that screens make us wired, but tired. So, yeah. you know, so a lot of times... Yeah, like cutting out screens before bed is huge for yeah. most people. Agreed. I mean, it's it's something that I know in my family, we work very hard. We're not perfect at it, clearly. But uh, I think it's something we we push. Like my daughter, if she watches anything on TV like an hour before she goes to bed, it's very difficult to get her to go to bed. Yeah. But if we take that away, in which we do like 80% of the time, it's a very easy bedtime. And I think bedtime for parents can be like, a hostage negotiation situation sometimes, you know. <laughs> totally. You know, you know, it's like, oh, dreadful times here, you know. Yep, exactly. Yeah, especially for kids are super sensitive to that. So, yeah. yeah. No doubt during this intermission, you may be thinking about your own sleep. I know I have. Having a good night of sleep makes a world of difference. I hope that tonight you have a good night of sleep. Think good thoughts. Tell yourself, I will sleep well. I will sleep well. I will sleep well. And when you do, enjoy the feeling of being refreshed in the morning. Yeah. It can be very tough, I think. I just I wonder about also like napping. What's the take on napping? So, I'm a big fan of napping. I mean, oh. it, I, yeah. I think unless you know that it affects your sleep, but um yeah, I think napping's great. There are actually tons of studies that have been done showing how it makes you more productive, focused, able to concentrate afterwards and retain things. So, um, so yeah, I think napping's great. I think it needs to be done at the right time. If it's done too late in the day, then it can definitely affect your sleep. But we have this normal dip in our circadian rhythm in the early afternoon, kind of that right after lunchtime, yeah. which is why so many cultures take naps or siestas or whatever, yeah. um, because there is this normal dip then where we feel tired. And 
that's when we tend to reach for caffeine and pastries and those high energy foods that are actually not going to help you function better for the rest of the day. So I'm a big fan of a quick power nap, I call it. Um, If you limit it to 30 minutes and think that, you know, assume it takes about 10 minutes to fall asleep and then you're asleep for 20 minutes, you only go into stage one and stage two of sleep Mm -hmm. and you don't fall into those deeper stages of sleep. So you're not going to wake up feeling groggy. Like I love taking a, you know, a quick 30 minute nap and I wake up feeling rested and refreshed and ready to go for the rest of the afternoon. So I think they're very helpful. Yeah. Especially for people who haven't been sleeping. Um, Taking a nap can help catch up and it can also help like cortisol is also released when you haven't slept well. So it becomes this cycle that's hard to break. But taking a nap can lower those cortisol levels so that then they'll lower at night so you can sleep better. All right, nap people. <clears throat> you got what you needed to hear. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not one of those people. I no. rarely take naps. It's like, but when I do, I'm like, I feel pretty good. So I'm like starting to think like, should I be doing this more often? You know, it's just like, <laughs> it's a weird game. Like sleep, sleep's like a game. Right. It's like this weird thing. Like how do I, like now it's like in my head almost because it's like, I'm really into like, okay, what time am I going to bed? I want to have a good enough sleep opportunity. And I feel like I do all the things right. And some nights it's just like, what happened? Like, it's weird. I'll tell my wife, I'm like, how do you know when you're asleep? Because sometimes it feels like you're perpetually lightly awake, even when you're asleep. You know what I mean? That sounds weird. I know. No, like, no, it does. Yeah. I mean, what yeah. Is that? Like, I don't understand that. Well, the first two stages of sleep are those light stages. And I always say it's, you know, when my husband nudges me and is like, you're snoring. I'm like, I'm not even asleep yet. What are you talking about? Because you feel like you're asleep, but you're, you know, but well, you feel like you're awake, but you're actually starting to fall and fall asleep. And so, you know, they've done studies where if if you wake someone up in stage one or stage two, half the time they'll say they weren't asleep. and and they don't have that groggy feeling where mm-hmm. as you wake them up later on when they're in those deeper stages of sleep, um, then you're definitely going to feel that grogginess and out of it when you wake up. So some people are lighter sleepers and they don't spend as much time in deep sleep. And so you might have that feeling where you're awake, but you actually might be in those lighter stages of sleep. That's so weird. Honestly, <laughs> that's weird. I experienced that a lot, actually. And I... I feel like this weird sense of like, I am aware of stuff, but then I'm asleep, kind of like, I don't know what to make of it. And sometimes I think I play like games with my mind, like, am I actually asleep? And then my mind starts running. It's weird. Like (laughs) that that whole stage bothers me because I'm like, I just want to be knocked out, like unconscious. (laughs) I don't want to be thinking at all, you know? Right. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it throws me, you know, right. You could just have, you know, just tell yourself I'm sleeping, I'm sleeping, I'm sleeping. And (laughs) I've had had clients find that helpful. Um, Really? Yeah. Just kind of like your mantra, like I'm sleeping and then kind of keeps your thoughts from spiraling out of control, which will wake you right up. (laughs) I think that's a big problem for a lot of people. Like it, it happens to me sometimes. It's like, soon as I start thinking about something, it becomes this chain reaction of other thoughts. And then like, I'm just awake because Mm -hmm. I'm thinking, you know, it's kind of like, 
if I, when I'm working in the morning, like I think about having to work and getting prepared for that. And it's like, and sometimes it's a prison for me, you know, like, whereas then I'm not working in a day, I don't care. So I'm just like, and my, my, my mind is free yep. more than, you know? Yep. Well, I mean, what you do before bed can possibly help with that by doing some journaling or writing down what you have yeah. to do the next day or, you know, looking at your calendar and just being like, okay, I got this. I got this. I got this. Yeah. And if you are stressed about something, writing it down can help a ton and just get it out of your head. Or if you're worried about things, write down the worst case scenario that could happen yeah. and then come up with a solution for it so that, you know, and knowing that probably that worst case thing probably isn't going to happen, but at least if it does, that you're going to survive, you have this plan yeah. And so getting all that out can be really helpful, especially, you know, t like times like right now where there's this additional stress and, you know, there's probably a lot of extra worry for a lot of people. So yeah, getting all that out can really help. Now, was there any research or information related to kind of zip codes or where people lived, their geography related to their sleep? Ooh, I don't know anything about that. I feel be like interesting it could be a if thing. there was, yeah. You know, like because I think like, you know, this is turning into my personal story here. It's not what it's meant to be, but you know, I'm like, yeah, come on here to help me. I'm like, no, 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 that's not what this is about. But um, <laughs> I think about like plays like I live in a place where um in Blaine, Washington, where the sunset in the summertime is crazy late. It's like 10 o'clock in the evening time. It's yeah, it's same like for perpetual me. daylight. Yeah, so you get the same thing, right? It's like yep. Do you recommend like in people who live in places like that, um, that they have like, uh, like eye masks or things, or what's the difference in terms of sleep with that blackout shades, things of that nature? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I especially think of like people even farther North in Alaska and stuff where they're having, you know, super long days. I think it would definitely be key to have blackout shades, um, that's blocking out 100% of the light as you get toward bedtime. Because otherwise, your body's just going to want to stay awake. <laughs> yeah. um, so that can help. Again, an eye mask is huge too. Um, wearing blue light blocking glasses before bed can help if you are, if you can't dim the lights or mm -hmm. stay away from screens or whatever, like that will at least help block that blue light. So those are some possibilities. For sure. What's the percentage that those glasses block of the light? I mean, how effective is it really? Um, well, you know, it depends on the quality of the glasses for sure. Mm. But there are some pretty high quality ones and more studies are being done to show that they are they are affecting people's sleep. You know, in other words, people are sleeping deeper, longer when they're wearing those. So they've got to mm. be somewhat effective. <laughs> right, right. You know, same with the geography, because I just wonder... We're learning a lot about research related to health and people's zip codes. Yep. And where they live is becoming a gigantic portion of their wellness, <clears throat> excuse me, with people. So I, I, I tend to think that maybe sleep would have to have some level of impact related to where you live. You're in a more nature-centered place versus a bustling city. Right. You know, I don't, I'm, I'm surprised there's actually not a lot of information related to that. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to look it up now because I'm not sure that there's <laughs> none, but I haven't come across any. <laughs> I just think it seems like natural, like 
right. let's say you're in like a city that's just like this huge metropolis and you know there's whenever i have traveled anywhere that's a big city it's just so it's so loud at nighttime mm-hmm. and lights everywhere it's so much light pollution constantly all over the place and i feel like that would impact your sleeping you know versus if you were in a more rural area very quiet at night uh, things I, I again I, I'm so surprised there's not that information right that. yeah that seems would... obvious honestly yeah totally <laughs> you know like I, I don't know I, that's why I ask him like I don't know do you know, him? <laughs> you know? <laughs> we'll obvious. have to ask some researchers to to start that one well I I think sleep research is so fascinating to me and you know when it feels like sleep is becoming a huge area of uh, research and importance in our lives. Is that true? You're seeing more research in sleep? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm also immersed in it every day. Yeah, of course. (laughs) Um, But just, yeah, I mean, I see new studies coming out all the time about sleep. You know, Matthew Walker's book is a great example of, Mm -hmm. you know, just this becoming into more mainstream and Ariana Huffington as well with her book, The Sleep Revolution. Mm. Um, she, you know, she's the founder of the Huffington Post and she pretty much collapsed in her desk one day and broke her face and yeah, because she had not been sleeping and taking care of herself. Mm -hmm. And when she went to the hospital, they pretty much diagnosed her with exhaustion. And so she's totally come around to, you know, realizing how important sleep is and to spreading the word about how important it is. And, you know, she's always, um, wants to tell people that her true success with the Huffington Post came once she started sleeping and taking care of herself. That's amazing. Well, you need people, I think, who have a certain platform and things that nature, like if they're pushing sleep, more people will pay attention generally. Yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah. You know, because I think for too long, we've just had this, it's almost this badge of honor to sleep less. Mm-hmm. I never got it. Like, oh yeah, I barely sleep. I'm so productive. I'm like, I don't know about that. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, you're actually not, but it's good to think <laughs> you are. But I think more, some people are more sensitive to it than others. Like I am very sensitive to being sleep deprived, which is mm-hmm. how I got into this because you know, I couldn't take it. So I think some people handle it better than others as well. <laughs> Like it was affecting you very deeply, like was, was it your like behavior it was affecting you? Yeah, I mean, I just felt miserable and it affects your mood and it affects your outlook oh, on yeah. life. I mean, that's the thing, like we got into the long term health problems of sleep, but there you know it affects your short term day to day life so much as well. Like I knew I wasn't able to focus. I hated that I had to take a nap because I was so exhausted, like I literally couldn't function. You know, it makes you more irritable and impatient. And so that's going to affect your relationships. Yeah. So, yeah, it affects so much on a day-to-day life that I just I just didn't want to handle. I didn't want that to be part of my life forever. Well, what's amazing about sleep is it feels like, I remember Matthew Walker saying this on a podcast, that we may be finding out that sleep is the foundation that nutrition and exercise stand on, actually, and not the opposite ways around of this yep. whole thing. Yep. And I that really did something to me because as someone who's been in the fitness profession forever and you know, understanding about nutrition, things of that nature, it feels like sleep is the big elephant in the room that we're not 
we're starting to actually acknowledge and go, this may be the ultimate thing of which all these things are tied into, the main source, if you will, for that. Yep, exactly. And that is, that's kind of a weird thing to think about because it's kind of like, well, that's just something everybody does. But the importance of it is like, you could train really well, eat really well, but then if you sleep like trash, I mean, what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, you're not going to be the best you could be. <laughs> for do you sure. have any information on, like, I think it's great for a lot of people who listen to podcasts or in fitness and stuff, how the intensity of exercise may affect their sleep um, in terms of recovery. Like, what I mean basically is sometimes I think if you work out really hard, maybe that process of recovery internally in your body, uh, does that affect the quality of your sleep uh, with that? It can. I mean, there is something called overtraining, as mm -hmm. you're probably aware yes. of. Um, yes, I am. It's it's big where I live because we have all these extreme athletes here. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, the thing is, exercise does, it is a stressor. It does cause cortisol to be released. Now, it's a good stressor if you're healthy you know, and it makes you stronger. But if you already have all these other stressors, like say you have psychological stress and say you have something physical going on and then you're adding this excessive exercise on top of it, then that can actually mean that you don't sleep well and you're not able to recover because you have all this excess cortisol in your body. Right. So yeah, it's just something to keep in mind. Like and for people who aren't sleeping, I don't suggest doing strenuous exercise. Like, I think you should get your sleep figured out first and then yeah. worry about your fitness. Like, yes, you still need to move every day. Yes, you at least need to walk, but you don't need to be training hard if you aren't sleeping. I totally agree. Totally agree. Awesome. Actually, <laughs> when my sleep changed uh, dramatically is when I, you know, started understanding more about my body and, you know, I had the weighted blanket. And actually my, my training has, I've always been a very hardcore athlete. I was a track and foot athlete in, in, in college and have maintained a pretty hard exercise regimen throughout the years. And, um, I noticed like my performance just way better since in the last three to four years from sleep and the quality of workouts are just way better because of that. And so I actually, a lot of the people I work with, I'm like, just sleeping is a gigantic part of us doing well. You know, we, there's got to be a priority for you, you know? Yeah, definitely. Especially when clients show up to sessions and they're just like, I'm so tired. I'm like, well, what, what were you doing last night? I stayed up to 5 a.m. watching Netflix. I'm like, why? Why are you doing this to yourself? Yeah. Oh, man. It's wild. When you hear that, it's like, oh, you could be so much better if you just actually slept well, you know? Right. Exactly. Do you get a lot of um, athletes that you're working with related to their sleep? Yeah, I've definitely worked with quite a few. So it's become more, are, it, they've taken it seriously at that point if they're coming to you. Yeah, exactly. I mean, athletes, especially, you know, people competing on a high level, they, they need sleep. I mean, here, I think it's Kobe Bryant supposedly sleeps 12 hours a night or something, but he's training a ton. But yeah, like they especially need sleep and- and, you know, if they're smart, then they realize that not sleeping is going to affect their performance. Yeah, I actually read an article on ESPN.com 
not that long ago, maybe it was a month or two ago when it was about the, the dirty secret of the NBA, which is nobody sleeps. A lot oh, of the wow. athletes just have horrible sleep habits and the traveling and all the constant traveling and poor sleep habits. And that I think, I think the NBA is making a real concerted effort to improve the sleep of their players, but obviously it's part, it's the product, you know? Yep. And do you want the product to perform at a high level? Sleep is a huge part of that. Yeah, I totally. Like. So, you know, to work really hard and then have poor sleep habits feels like it almost cancels out a lot of the hard work in a sense. Right. <laughs> I agree. That's just my, I mean, I'm no sleep consultant. I'm just saying what I think. You know? <laughs> yeah, we're, no, we're on the same page. I love it. <laughs> you know, do you get people who disagree with you a lot? <laughs> they haven't told me so much. <laughs> oh, is it their actions are disagreeing with you? Well, <laughs> we just don't talk yes. about it, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> we yeah, just don't talk exactly. about it. <laughs> so basically here it goes. You tell them and then they're like, I'm not doing it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, it's like my husband can watch TV, then get in bed, scroll through Facebook and go yeah. to sleep fine. But then he's tired every morning. It's like, mm. honey, you know what you could do, but <laughs> I'm telling you, I know you're not going to but... listen to me. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Why do we do that? Why we don't listen to people closest to us? I it's know, so right? <laughs> I find that phenomenon completely strange to me. Yeah. I don't know. My wife was a big person in changing my sleep. She... She identified it big time and, you know, I was open to it, you know, like, I don't know. It feels like that's, that's a whole other psychological aspect. Right. <laughs> it just worked out for you guys together. It just worked out. Yeah. yeah. It just, but I also think like, besides the geography, as you dive deeper, the personal relationships people have, you mentioned earlier about stress with people. Mm -hmm. And I wonder how much research is out there related to stress related to personal relationships and sleep, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, there's been a lot on sleep deprivation and relationships, or at least a few studies that I've seen mm. just talking about how you're more aggressive, you know, you're yeah. less likely to compromise and be able to, <laughs> to, um, to finish the argument or, you know, make up pretty much mm -hmm. like, yeah, it's, um, it's definitely not getting sleep is not going to help you in your relationships at all. <laughs> so, and, you know, stress, of course, is going to have the same effect, whether it affects your sleep or it just affects your mood and your health and everything. That's not good for relationships either. I mean, it can't be. And, and isn't the number of people who are sleeping less than seven hours, I heard it's like a staggering number at this point. Like it's like the percentage of getting the proper amounts of sleep is lower than it's ever been. Is that true? Or I mean, well, it's, yeah, I mean, it's a third of the population gets fewer than oh seven my hours gosh. sleep. Yeah. It's millions of people. I mean, that's the estimate in the U S that is similar for Western countries. Yeah. Wow. I mean, people are not sleeping. Isn't there a thing in like, is it Japan or somewhere where like, it's a real issue too. And like people are falling asleep on subways constantly or like standing up. They're just so sleep deprived. Yeah. I mean, yep. They're definitely encouraged not to sleep there. But again, supposedly that's turning around and you're hearing about uh, workplaces having these nap pods and things <laughs> um, where people can go take a nap. So, you know, hopefully it's turning around. Well, it's interesting too. I feel like um, this probably makes sense to you as well. Like 
you know, the relationship between sleep and like school for kids. Oh yeah. Like these school times. I always thought it was ridiculous. Like for kids to go to school so early in the morning, mm-hmm. you know, like seems weird to me, you know? Yep. Well, and luckily things are changing with that too. Um, because they're finding like teenagers, if, you know, first of all, we know that they need to go to bed later. Like they're just on a different body clock. And so for them to get up early and be able to focus and do schoolwork is really hard. So luckily school times are being pushed later. And actually where I live is one of the latest. I think it's at nine. Nine? Yeah. That's incredible. I know. Like it, it was in a book I read about. I'm like, wow, my tiny town is in this book. But yeah. Wow. So there is, you know, again, things are changing. They're realizing that, um, you know, they're performing better when they're allowed to sleep in, that there's less even mental illness, suicides, things like that. So yeah, it's really I feel important. I like it also would be very good for the parents as well, because, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of parents who are waking up earlier than they want to because they have to get their kids up for school. You know? Right. When so many parents I talk to, because I still work with, you know, kids some and they're having, you know, I have to get my kid up at 630. It's like, okay, then they need to go to bed at 730. <laughs> people don't like that though. No, Michael. like they, I know. you know, there's this weird thing with people like, especially like if you have like people who are working late and then they don't get to see their kid and they just keep them up so I could see them type of thing. Yep. You know? Yep. And it's devastating, man. It's like my daughter goes to bed at 730 all the time. That's awesome. And and we, yeah, I mean, we started it. We were like so serious about the sleep. We got her like a sleep suit when she was tiny. <laughs> and then like, she used to go to bed. I'm not joking. And like 4 PM, no lie. Wow. 4 PM for a long time. And my friends would be like, why would you do that? Like, it's so early. I'm like, we just noticed when she goes to bed at this time, she sleeps through the night, wakes up, you know, at a time that she feels refreshed. Yep. And it's dropped back to 7:30. But if we deviate like 30 minutes from that, it changes her whole sleep. So we kind of have to do it at 730 at this point. Yeah, exactly. That's what's best for her. You know, (laughs) that should be the bottom line, you know? Yeah. 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 (laughs) I mean, it's like, and she knows it. And, you know, we talked to her about the importance of sleep all the time and creating, you know, a good ritual for getting her ready for sleep. And it's become a large part of our life. Um, because of all the things we've read and and looked up and different things we've heard and but it still surprises me when I hear about people with really young kids and they're staying up to 10 11 o'clock at night you know yeah definitely I mean there's you know some theories that kids diagnosed with ADHD that a lot of that a lot of those kids are actually just sleep deprived and the symptoms mm. are the same of this hyperactivity and you know inability to focus. Like kids get wired when they're tired instead of like we do. And so it can look like ADHD when really they just need more sleep. Isn't that the funniest thing? Well, maybe not funny, but when you're trying to get, it's like they get, they get shot out of a cannon right before bedtime. Yeah, totally. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Relax here, man. (laughs) (laughs) Why are you getting amped up? It's bedtime. (laughs) Yep, exactly. It's pretty amazing stuff um, for that. So what's the... What's the most rewarding thing about what you do when you work with sleep? I mean, to me, it's helping people change their lives. So, you know, for people who are miserable not sleeping like I was, then it's a huge deal to finally, especially, I mean, I work with people who have been 
haven't been able to sleep for 20 years. And so for them to start sleeping again, what they never thought was possible is just really amazing. And the opposite, any challenging aspects to what you do? Well, I'm trying to help adults change their habits. <laughs> that's very <laughs> Not tricky. That easy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you got to be really motivated. Yeah. You know, that's the thing. So. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, now how long are people spending with you uh, about their, is there like an average amount of time people are spending or a number of days or what's the process like? Yeah, it's usually three months. So we initially, you know, I send them all the tests. I do five different lab tests and they can do that from the comfort of their own home. And then it takes a couple of weeks to get those results back. And then that's usually when we start meeting. And so we'll meet once every couple of weeks. So about six times over three months and dive into the test results. I also do a lot of things with stress, managing stress. And then, I mean, the sleep foundation still have to be there, like the no screens and diet and exercise and, you know, everything has to be in place um, to, to get to the root cause and figure it out. Oh, that's awesome. That's really cool. Well, I, you know, I had a good feeling about you when I saw your thing. I was like, oh, sleep, we got to talk about sleep. It's <laughs> like a big thing, right? You know, like. I love it that you're into it too. It's great. Oh man, I'm super into it. Actually, <laughs> I have sent sleep books to my friends and family and say, hey man, just you should just think about this. this is a real problem that we're having in our country and kind of one of these subplot problems that you know we think about other things as being gigantic aspects of our public health, obviously very important, but sleep is something that I feel like we're just overlooking all the time. But it's so critical. Mm -hmm. I love it. You're like, I know, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I love it that you're into it too. Trust me. Not everyone That's is, great. right? We know. Yeah, there's a resistance. <laughs> but thank you for people like yourself who are working in the field and helping people have a good night's rest because it it actually changes all aspects of your life when you sleep well. Um, so. Thank you I for agree. what you do, Martha. Yes. Well, thank you for having me on. Yeah, it's my pleasure. And um, you have an awesome day, and we will certainly be in touch. Sounds good, Darian. All right. Thanks. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dr. D's Social Network. Make sure you listen to future episodes. Also, please make sure to rate and review My Dad's Show on Apple Podcasts in the Rate and Review section. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>